Hello, friends, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode. This is my book review podcast, Unknown Friends, and I'm Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions. And this week, we hit our 10th weekly episode. We are leaving the single digits behind and moving into double digits with episode 10. And wow, I mean, these last two months have been quite a learning curve for me and I've, I've enjoyed it so much. I do want to give a quick shout out to one person who's made it possible for me to actually do a podcast, which began as, uh, frankly, quite a daunting prospect when I first decided to give it a try. But uh, a shout out to my uncle, Keith Bailey, who is a sound wizard and has decades of experience as an audio engineer, used to own his own uh, recording studio. He was actually the one who gave me the mic I use for recording these episodes, and he also has uh, patiently helped me learn the basics of audio editing. So I know the audio isn't flawless, but the inadequacies are all me, and the adequacies are all due to my uncle's help and input. So a big thank you to my uncle Keith for making this possible. So like I warned you last week, I am back to 19th century British literature today, which is unquestionably one of my favorite literary uh, eras or genres. Charles Dickens, Jane Austen and the Bronte sisters, uh, George Eliot, Elizabeth Gaskell, more on her in uh, a few weeks, and now Anthony Trollope. Today I'm discussing the first and in fact only Trollope novel I have read so far, uh, though it's not the first he wrote. I'm reviewing The Warden, published several years into Trollope's writing career. So let me give a brief backstory first. Our author, Anthony Trollope, was born in 1815, and he died in 1882. He was born and raised in England, but he he did not start out as a writer. He actually worked for the post office for much of his life, beginning in 1834, when he was just 19. For the next seven years, he lived and worked in England, and he was miserable. But then he moved to Ireland in 1841 due to being offered a job for the post office there, and he kind of felt like he got a new start at that point in his life. After a couple years living in Ireland, he got married in 1844, and that was also about the time he was starting seriously to pursue being a writer in his late 20s. So his first novel was published in 1847, uh, the first of several Irish novels, you could call them, which weren't all received super well in England. But uh, I love this. His first book was titled The McDermott's of Ballycloran. And man, is it hard to say that in a Southern Illinois accent and just move on. But no, no, I will not attempt to say it in an Irish accent because... I don't want to embarrass myself, and because I know I have a few UK listeners who could call me out on it, so better to leave that as it is. The McDermott's of Ballycloran. It's just a great title. Anyway, 
Today's topic, the warden, was not published until 1855, and it was really the first novel that started to give Trollope a more solid reputation. It wasn't a wild success by any stretch, but it began to establish him as an author worth reading. So in 1859, he moved back to England, and by then he'd published several more or less successful novels and was gaining a real name for himself and uh, getting into literary circles. In 1867, he finally resigned from the post office, and from that point on, he focused on his literary career until his death in 1882, other than one utterly failed attempt at a seat in the House of Commons in 1868. But over his lifetime, he truly became a prolific writer. He had very disciplined writing habits, and by the time of his death, he had written a total of 47 novels, along with some uh, travel books and short stories. So, if you, like me, are fairly new to Trollope, there is a whole vista of potential reading opening up in front of us. But let's get into The Warden and explore its characters and themes. It is the first novel in Trollope's Chronicles of Barsetshire, which is a six-book series in total, and as I understand it, the first two books in the series are connected pretty closely, uh, but the other four a little more loosely. There is a well-done BBC TV adaptation of the first two Barsetshire books, in case you're interested. The series is called The Barchester Chronicles. It was produced in 1982 and features some excellent actors like um, Alan Rickman and Donald Pleasance. While I've not read the second book, I can attest to the adaptation being a pretty good representation of the first book anyway. So if you enjoy ecclesiastical drama and uh, crises of conscience and delightfully dry British humor, then you would appreciate this series. It's actually available for free on YouTube right now, I believe, so you're welcome. <laughs> I watched this miniseries before reading The Warden, which I kind of avoid doing in general, but it worked out in this case, and I hadn't even heard of Trollope's Barsetshire books until I watched the BBC adaptation, so I have the TV version to thank for introducing me to the books. But to focus in on the first book in Trollope's Chronicles, The Warden. Our hero is a warden, surprise, surprise, the warden of Hiram's Hospital, which is a charitable institution, uh, an almshouse for 12 elderly men who are no longer able to work for their living. Hiram's Hospital is in the fictional town of Barchester, in the fictional English county of Barsetshire, and the warden's name is Mr. Harding, Septimus Harding. He is not a young man himself, uh, but still active. He, he is a widower with two grown-up daughters. His younger daughter, Eleanor, 
is unmarried and still lives with her father, and Mr. Harding's older daughter is married to the Archdeacon of Barchester, Archdeacon Grantley, who is a major figure in the story and a force to be reckoned with. The Archdeacon's father is the Bishop of Barchester, and he and Mr. Harding are old friends. Now, there's one more player in this novel, and that is John Bold, who might possibly be in love with Mr. Harding's daughter, Eleanor, and he is a a young surgeon by trade, although he has inherited enough that he's able to practice free of charge. He serves the poor who can't pay him anything. So that's the situation. Wholesome, peaceful, full of promise, but into that situation breaks an intrusion. Well-intentioned, but nonetheless disruptive. John Bold is a zealous young man, a reformer, who feels it his mission to right wrongs, especially corruptions and abuses in systems. And as it turns out, Hiram's hospital, where Mr. Harding is warden, seems to be functioning on a corruption. The details are never made crystal clear in the story, but it seems that the terms of the will left by the founder of the hospital centuries before are not being carried out exactly as intended. The 12 old men apparently have a right to more money than they're being given, and the warden to much less than the income he currently receives. So no one has really been aware of this, least of all the warden himself, the the generous, innocent Mr. Harding. But John Bold discovers the apparent discrepancy, and in his mind, this is unjust, this is wrong. Uh, Impoverished men are not receiving their due, and the warden is receiving a very comfortable income that, frankly, he doesn't have to work very hard for. So, despite his feelings for Mr. Harding's daughter, John starts a lawsuit and a campaign involving the press and public opinion to expose this abuse that seems to have developed in the hospital over the years. No one exactly knows how things developed the way they did or who's responsible for the financial mismanagement, but that doesn't matter too much to John. He he believes in reform and feels like he can't, in good conscience, ignore financial misconduct of this kind. So his priority is to try to uncover and put right this instance of what looks like corruption in the church. But as you might imagine, this is all very distressing to our hero, Mr. Harding. He too has a highly tuned conscience, but he has had no idea that he might be the recipient of an unwarranted amount of income. And this campaign of John Bold's is painful and disquieting. It starts to be portrayed as a a great scandal in the church once the press gets a hold of the story, and people are turning against Mr. Harding, who has only ever shown kindness to those around him. So essentially, the novel follows the actions as well as the inner moral struggles of these two men, John and Mr. Harding, and they endeavor to do what is right, but in doing so, 
they are directly opposed to one another. And interestingly, the thing gets beyond either of them. Once the newspapers get a hold of John's lawsuit, it is out of his control, and they are trying to smear Mr. Harding's character, which John never wanted. And meanwhile, when Mr. Harding seeks wisdom from his son-in-law, the archdeacon, as well as his old friend, the bishop, they have their own ideas and convictions, especially the archdeacon, who is all up in arms against John and ready to take this lawsuit to the highest courts in the land to defend the church and prove that there is no corruption going on. Well, Mr. Harding isn't convinced that he does deserve an income he doesn't have to work very hard for, and that concerns him. Enough that he's willing and feels it necessary to take a good hard look at John's claims and consider whether he might be right, despite how distressing his campaign is to Mr. Harding. So the issue is far more complex than just corruption or no corruption. And that's what Trollope unravels so brilliantly. In some ways, this is a simple story in that it's not super long. There's really only a handful of main characters. And everything pretty much revolves around John's lawsuit and the church's response to it. However, the moral questions involved are intricate. And that's what Trollope is most interested in. His writing is truly eye-opening in the way it unveils the complexities of moral problems. So in this novel, there does seem to be real corruption going on, in the sense that the intentions of the hospital's founder are not being carried out accurately, to the detriment of the men the hospital was intended to care for. That said, however, it's an inherited and an ignorant corruption. Mr. Harding was entirely unaware of it. And in fact, he himself is so free of corruption that he habitually goes above and beyond what he believes is his duty in how he serves and tends to the elderly men in his care. So he is innocent, and yet he is benefiting from a misuse of funds. So what I think is so fascinating is that these are both good men. Both Mr. Harding and John Bold are upright, very conscientious, with a strong sense of morality and a willingness to stand up for what they believe and even sacrifice themselves for others. And what's more, they like one another and respect each other. I mean, John is in love with Mr. Harding's daughter and Mr. Harding approves. And yet, what John is doing is beginning to destroy Mr. Harding's reputation and position in life. So Trollope is exploring what is the place of reform in society, and how does reform affect individuals? It's not as simple as there's a systemic problem, so we just need to expose and remove the problem and everything will be right again. No, because there are always people involved, and people complicate things. Good people can sometimes be trapped in a bad system, and bad people are sometimes on a righteous bandwagon. Um, or, on a more personal level, two good men 
may have different convictions or priorities, and they may find themselves in conflict with one another. Or men with good principles are sometimes really stubborn or or blind to certain things or just difficult to work with, whereas men with bad principles can be charming and persuasive and likable. I actually, I read this quotation in The New Yorker, of all places, but it uh, elegantly sums up what I'm trying to say. Trollope sees that the agents of reform are often ugly, that the beneficiaries of corruption are often graceful, that the effects of reform are often dubious, but that reform in a liberal society is nonetheless as inevitable as the standardization of measurement. So how do we navigate all of this? Is there a way to solve all the moral quandaries and satisfy everyone's conscience and achieve this without any casualties? Well, that's a tall order. And in the real world, that's probably not possible. But it's still our responsibility to search out the best answer we can find, to adjust, step back, change direction if necessary, and to to listen and communicate with others throughout the process so that hopefully together we can achieve the best possible solution, even though a perfect solution is probably unattainable. And that's what both of these men do, Mr. Harding and John Bold. And it shows what admirable characters they both are, even if they do make mistakes sometimes. They're both committed to pursuing truth and trying to find the balance of resisting corruption without destroying people in the process. So I won't give anything away, but uh, the novel's ending is ironic, and yet inevitable, I think, when you consider the issues and the people you're dealing with. But it is ironic. It's a good ending, uh, very fitting, and I would certainly say the novel ends happily in its own way. So it's definitely worth reading, and, you know, I think it's timely. I did not plan it this way, but Trollope's exploration of reform and the problems with reform is certainly relevant today, because while systems can be, and in fact often are, messy in one way or another, so is reform. It's very messy. And ultimately, people's hearts are the problem. And a transformation of people's hearts is the only solution. Evil dwells in the heart of man, but so can God. And that's what it always comes down to. Will we revert to self-will and all the ugliness that breeds? Or will we seek God and let him direct our lives and shape our behavior to other people? So, yes, I recommend The Warden. Personally, I want to read the rest of Trollope's Chronicles of Barsetshire as well. I think he shows fascinating insight into human nature and interaction, and it's amazing to me what an intriguing story he can create out of essentially church politics. Uh, Even though, to me, the novel's premise sounds kind of boring, 
I didn't think the story was boring at all because of the direction Trollope takes with it and the skill with which he writes. So if you, like me, enjoy 19th century British literature or just novels about people and conscience and moral dilemmas, then I definitely think you would enjoy The Warden. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to contribute to the conversation, please email me at kittywam at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook or on Instagram because I would love to hear your thoughts or questions about Anthony Trollope's work and the ideas he explores. Next week, I am so, so excited. For episode 11, I will be reviewing Leif Enger's 2001 novel, Peace Like a River, which is just wonderful. Uh, Even if you don't have time to listen to my podcast next week, please read this book. You will thank me. It's so unique and compelling and just beautiful. I, I cannot wait to discuss it, and I hope everyone will read it. It's a hidden jewel of a story. So I will try to contain myself until next week rolls around, but I hope you tune in again for episode 11, and in the meantime, have a lovely week.